supply consulting, warehouse operational, market material not exactly the end of the week. Almost the end of the week. Almost the end of the week. But we are recording this today because uh, tomorrow we have our quarterly meetings and I have a shareholders meeting and we have all these busy things. And uh, so we, we, we just can't uh, make time for, for a podcast uh, uh, tomorrow. I don't think it's the first time we don't do it on a Friday anyway. So we It adapt. isn't? It's, no, we had, well, no we had a Thursday, yeah. yeah. Um, and then because we have uh, young Jeffrey in, from uh, from LA back in Montreal. He back again. Begged to get on again. To be back on. Because he had such a great experience the first time. Yeah. With me. It was a very good episode. I thought it was okay. Got yeah. some show notes, so hopefully I can improve this. You time never out. shared them with us. Yeah, sure. What's the main one? Well, I've been told I'm a boring speaker my whole life. A little monotonous. So well, I'd, like work, I'd like to work on that. I do remember Jeff. So for people who don't know, Jeff was a lifeguard, right? Yeah. Uh, at my community pool. And I, I do remember you, you, you'd already come up to me and say, oh, I want to come do an internship. And I said, okay, that's, that's great. I remember, the, though, like a few weeks later, I was forced, and I mean forced, to go to awards night at the end of the season. And when I was a kid, they had awards night, and they give kids awards, right? But now, the way the world's evolved, the parents want awards. So there's like greatest volunteer, greatest barbecuer, most likely to be, you know, and all the kids sit there, and they have to clap as their parents get awards, and their parents feel like so great. Uh, but Jeff, I remember you, 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 you spoke, and I was so impressed, because you come across, you know, like what? what? Well, you know, like 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 a Neanderthal. You know, you're a big jock. You're very athletic. You're always you're always talking about like protein shakes and 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 seaweed dust that you put in your in your water. And so, <laughs> you know, you, you just you happen to be a very smart guy who's also a, a jock. And uh, it was really stunning when you did speak for the first time. You had such a command of of the uh, of the audience. And I thought, okay, yeah, we'll we'll keep them on board. I appreciate you saying that. It's really nice of you. <laughs> That's about <laughs> as nice as I'll get. Yeah. So, what, Jeff, what do you want to talk about today? So, I, you know, one of the things that uh, I've had the ability to do is being here for so long, I get to hear all these war stories about how it used to be. And while most, <laughs> and while I think most of them are, you know, probably left better to be not, not on the podcast, um, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about, like, from a consultant's perspective, from a project you know, dealing with a client, how do we do that work now and how did we used to do it and what do we think is like changed a lot and what is like exactly the same? Because I think everyone thinks that it's completely different from, you know, the time, from the time that you guys were analysts, right? 15, 20 years ago. Um, but I think there, 25. But I think there are things that are way, way different. Like if we look at how you do modeling, 
and then there's things that you know are the same and then if we have enough time maybe we can talk about what we think that's going to look like 10 years from now cool well as the senior senior person here i'll start the first thing um so dave and i come come from the same company we both started in the same environment uh when if you said what is the the thing that has changed the most over the years uh it is data <laughs> the amount and quality of data available right so when i my first project with a, a, a man who's now retired walter harrigan one wonderful guy who's the vp of operations of Perkins Paper, which which is a company that got purchased. It was a food service company in Taunton, Mass., which many people know uh, is very close to where the New England Patriots play uh, football. Okay, so they uh, had mainframes. Like, we didn't even talk like servers. They were called mainframes. And the data would be stored on mainframes. And that meant when we made a request for data, they pulled the data and shipped FedEx <laughs> a tape, a cassette tape. Not even like a tape, but I mean a tape like it was On a, a roll. film, you know? And uh, they gave me all these printouts of how the data was stored. And I had to take this data, send it to there was one company in Montreal, which was really lucky that Montreal happened to have this kind of company. Like Toronto, uh, like other cities didn't have uh, a place that would convert data from tape to, I forget what. It wasn't floppy disks, but there was another, it went to another kind of tape medium that we actually, because we had this big server room and we had the machine to read that. So I had to change it, not, not the the type of data, I had to change the medium the data sat on what from one physical medium to another. That was challenge one. Then challenge two was in those days when you um, stored enormous amounts of data, which warehouses generate and supply chains generate enormous amounts of data, you had to plan for how you were going to store data on tape. So imagine the tape is 900 feet Right? It's a spool of 900 feet of, of cellophane uh, or whatever, cellulite. And, and you planned how you could store, uh, use every um, inch of that, data, uh, that, that, that thing to maximize how much data you could put on it. You just think about that. It's crazy. <laughs> and there was this, this format, this data format called Ipsitic. And Ipsitic was a way of taking a very large number. Let's say... Um, uh, item like you know item numbers like how you you know you, you, let's say a, a number was nine eight one two three, and you would not want to store it that way, you would want to shrink it. I don't even under I really to this day still don't understand. It was a, like a, almost a set of symbols that allowed you to collapse uh, a large number into a tiny space, so that you know twenty two million point seven three would take up the same space as 12, the number 12, yeah. on this tape. And you, so we had to do this, like, extracting usable data was half of my job as an analyst. So how long would that whole process <coughs> take to win? Weeks. It would take them <laughs> weeks to get the data. Yeah. 
Then the FedEx was overnight. It would take me a week to send it over uh, to the company for conversion. And then it took me at least a week. Um, everything was easy except for some of these ipsitic format things. I mean, all my engineering brain power was being spent on how do I take this this like Egyptian hieroglyph yeah. and turn it into a usable number. And yeah, so imagine four weeks. Whereas today, you know, people can extract data within a day. They can yeah. upload the data on a on a secure uh, on our, on our own you know secured uh, website. We can download that data, read it in. Uh, we have you know the amount of storage is so many billions times greater. We don't worry about what are the tricks to to, to manage data. David, do you remember leading zeros and trailing yes. zeros? That was a source of mistake. But with the story yeah. that you just told, it's hard to believe there's only five years between you and I because I never I had to say, do this. So you never had to. I never had that. No, no. And, and that, but but do you, five years, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I never had that. Yeah, the and yeah, the leading zeros you had exactly was it, they would not just disappear. You had to account for them as you read in data. It was a mess. Well, we still but, that, that, but that's oh, popped up in yeah. Time. But you know what? Once <laughs> though, uh, on the leading so so for everyone understands, you declare a number field right um, nine long, let's say, and if the number was twelve, it would read zero 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 zero. You know, and then yeah. twelve. And you always had to be careful of that <coughs> because if you got it wrong, uh, uh, you, you, you could cause all sorts of chaos yes. in your programming. Yeah. I had one of those problems once. I did a network study for a company that sadly went bankrupt during 9-11. It, it's, it delivered food to airline, uh, mm -hmm. to the airlines. Mm -hmm. It went bankrupt because of 9-11, right? You can imagine mm -hmm. what a disaster that, well, for everyone, but it, you know, in, in particular for the airlines. And um, we went for our preliminary presentation and uh, we showed them their network and everyone loves a map, right? Yeah. You take all their volumes and you show that, oh, it's hot. You do a lot of volume in California, Texas, all the hubs, of course, were where your volume was. But then I remember the owner who, who, um, who I had seen on CNN like six months later talking about the impact of 9-11 on his business. But I remember he looked at it and he said, well, this is really strange. He didn't know there was an Arab. He, this is really strange. We, um, we actually do a lot of volume in Boston, but you guys are showing we have no volume in Boston. And, and uh, then the next point I was about to make is, yeah, and we have about 13% you know, of your volume that we can't attribute to anything. Hmm. Well, as anyone American who's listening to this knows, Boston is part of the Northeast area where the first digit of the zip code is zero. zero. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we treated that as a leading zero and we removed it from the data. And therefore, a zip code of one, two, three, four was, was a bad zip code. Yeah. Huh. Wow. But, uh, <clears throat> and back to your medium, just when, even when it was started, starting to be more. Uh, closer to what we have in terms of the medium on which data was stored, just the integrity of it, it was so bad. Like now it's, yep. I mean, we'll have like unclean data, uh, but but yeah, just the amount of time that had to be spent on, on looking at it, cleaning it, getting only a portion of it, that kind of made sense. It's a, but that, I yeah. mean, 100%. And that's data cleaning 
was the other thing that took up, let's say you did a large chunk of time. 30% just getting data, 30% cleaning data, and then, you know, 40% analyzing the data. Whereas today, it is 90% data analysis and 10% and on when the it, other side. And when it is longer on the cleaning, it's almost always correlated to that customer running on a, you know, a really old Old system, mm -hmm. uh, depends on the industry, right? People have people who have bad data are or bad data sits where data doesn't matter. So what the part the dimensions? Right, like if you parts right, is if I'm one, in the yeah. spare parts world, yeah, I'm never gonna have great dimensions because why? It's you don't too care. much energy. Yeah. They should, but right, and there's so many exceptions, nesting and all sorts of things that may go. Yeah. But let's say if you go to the food industry. Um, the reason that today the idea of bad data is kind of silly is because that data is so mission critical to their their operations that that data is is mm -hmm. is mercilessly kept clean uh, for their own day to day operations. And how and how would clients react to that process? Because you know even today you, you you get data and it takes a couple of weeks to to have any results. Sometimes it takes a month and. I found more, especially recently, people really want to see things right away and they want things to happen quickly. So when you have like a, you know, a six week from oh. before you even can get started, like, w did everyone just kind of say, no. yeah, this is how it is? Or were they like, what are you doing? Actually, even more than that, everyone valued it. There was an economic value to that exercise. They didn't just go like, oh, yeah, you have to clean the data. They're like, this is such a great exercise mm -hmm. that we're going through. Because we would, what you do is you'd say like, Here's a list of all your cases that are over 40 pounds. Here's a list of all your cases under five pounds. Here's a list of all mm -hmm. your cases with uh, more Two than 24 inches with. You do that and they'd be like, wow, oh, oh. And because we were mm. operationalizing data, using yeah. data to make operate was, was, was important, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and they knew that, so the operating systems that would manage a warehouse traditionally in those days would be looking at quantities like units, cases, yeah. right? But everyone knew that we had to get to volume, yeah. right? Or volumetrics, like cubic movement of mm -hmm. product, palletizing, you know? And and so the exercise we did had huge value to them. It, so it was not, um, it was a pain in the butt for the warehouse people, you mm -hmm. know? Cause especially like night shift people, the night shift supervisor often got lists and were, was told go out and measure these boxes. Go or the, uh, <laughs> the typical uh, warehouse high and tie. So uh, layers per pallet and cases per layer of 99 and 99. 99 and 99. That means like when they enter, like they didn't care. And then you and on that first project, mm -hmm. I remember we showed them the list of the highest inventory items. There's one item, it had 98,000 on hand. Quantity? Right? Sorry? Quantity 98,000. 98,000. Now imagine it was a food service distributor. Not, not, unless it's like spoons. Yeah. But if it's food, you don't have 98,000 of anything. Yeah. Unless you overbought ridiculously <laughs> and you're sitting on, you know, a post-apocalyptic quantity of, 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 of canned tomatoes. Right. Um, and then they had no idea what it was. <laughs> and they went and they researched. The next day they found out, oh, oh yeah, because it was 98,000 units in the freezer. <clears throat> and they were like baffled. I remember Walter called the next day laughing, and he said, "Oh, you know what it is? That's where we that's where we record the number of pallets we have in the warehouse. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. in the freezer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like we could have designed the world's largest freezer when actually, you know, 
those pallets, most of them are actually on the road all day long. Right. But now, and now it's, ta- it, I mean, clients mostly take it for granted that this ability that we have with data is, is a must in, in what we do. And I'm not saying everyone is good like we are, but, you know, the, the economist, I think, were many years ago was saying that, you know, information is now more valuable than oil as a resource. And since then, you know, it's it's just normal to talk about data and the ability yeah. to treat data as a as a what's what I'm looking I think for. That's like really as a true, though. Uh, if you think about how do we stay competitive, yeah. how does any company stay? Com- one of the things people don't don't appreciate maybe about a business like well, we say this a lot, right? Just generally in terms of sales, like a shark bites everything that comes in its path because animals don't have the luxury of saying ah. I got a meal coming to me later on. I don't have to worry. You never, you never have the luxury. You always go for whatever calories are in front of you, and but 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 a, a related thing to that is, if you think that what you do today in in the knowledge economy business like ours, if you think that what you do today or what you have been doing for ten years is going to keep you alive for the next ten years, you are kidding yourself. Yeah. Right, and so. I think your point, David, is like there is a commodification that has occurred. Mm-hmm. Everybody can collect data. Everybody, you know, we used to, in, in the early days, not, not here at LID, but even in an early part of our careers, when we said we make data-driven decisions, that was rare. Mm-hmm. Because we, we had to invest $100,000 in hardware right. to process this data. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not just that, when we would do network studies, or uh, like the worst thing, you'd run a program, and that program to to analyze data would run for forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not instant like it is today, uh, or relatively instant. Um, and if you know you you you'd have these situations where you'd realize you made a mistake, and that mistake was four programs ago, and we would do this thing where we would submit a chain of programs to the server with the correction, and we'd leave for the night. Mm-hmm. Come back the next day. Praying that, that <laughs> it when went you well. came back, oh, that errors. it worked. Yeah. And of course, like if you got it right, seventy percent of the time it didn't. But thirty percent, like one in three chance. No, you you could, you would lose hours. But I say that to say, your point about like next ten years, mm-hmm. uh, we cannot assume that even like core thing, core analyses, and core we have uh, quantitative perspectives that we bring to the table. They are not going to to uh, be sufficient, mm-hmm. right? And that's why, actually, Jeff, you should talk about this. One of the initiatives that we, we started in the last two years mm-hmm. was uh, incorporating simulation yep. into our work. Mm-hmm. And I want to be clear, because sometimes our competitors are listening. Well, actually, I don't want them to know this, but we we don't approach simulation. Well, how do we approach simulation? And wh- how I do think we think a, about... Yeah, I think the simulation piece for us is like an additional piece of the puzzle. So we're not approaching it trying to say, hey, this is a new type of project that we're going to do. But on a path to designing a warehouse or optimizing an existing space, you're going to have these questions that come up where traditional data modeling, you know, an Excel table that tells you how many pallets you're moving per day, isn't going to answer the question. It's a dynamic problem, and it needs a, a solution that's dynamic. It needs a moving, breathing model that can, that can actually show you how many pickers are in aisle 10 on a busy Tuesday 
And you can't really do that in Excel. You can sort of make a guess, but it doesn't really answer the question. So, so we kind of approach it as like a micro simulation or like a value add as part of a bigger project where we can just now answer more questions that they're asking and just give better answers mm -hmm. to those questions. 100%. And some of those questions are like nuances or little fine details, but they're beautiful details. Yeah. And then others, though, what, because, um, you know, David and I, 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 I think you to, to some extent, but certainly or we, we have encountered projects where you hire the simulation firm to do mm -hmm. a simulation. So we do it, and it's very static, right? We do our design, we give them the design, they do the simulation, and we say works or not works. Mm -hmm. And 99 times out of, 10, out of 100, it works because that's, we understand the basics. But when you take the data analysis we do, all the ways in which we can run permutations and different combinations and scenarios, we can, we can bring a, all, an entirely new, almost dimension to the output that a simulation can provide. And I think that's the kind of thing when you say, well, 10 years out, what are we looking at? That that certainly is how we marry our traditional data, deep mining, algorithm-driven analysis with simulation. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know if you're going to roll your eyes, but when you talk about future, it's hard, at least these days, to not think about AI. And I don't have an answer for this. I don't know how. See, it's funny. When I think about the future, I think about a cottage on uh, Lake Massawippi in North Hackett. <laughs> but you think about AI. No, but how, like, but you, how talk, you, not? you talk about the <laughs> com commodification. If you go to North Hackett, you'll start thinking about that. <laughs> the, how, how data analysis can be uh, commodified or it becomes a commodity. And I'm not talking so much about the, call it the expertise in the field of supply chain and logistics, but just how you actually manipulate data. Ooh. Holy crap, that was close. I didn't know that did that. <laughs> okay, you did that. But but that, that, that the ability to crunch data and you know to find trends and patterns and, and 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 teach to the models, you know, what comes out. Here's here's we designed a warehouse and that's the result and it it was a successful, it was properly sized, you know, once and then you 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 through machine learning or you feed and say this is for this kind of operation, this solution works. Right. Yeah. Rather than actually, not instead of doing the analysis, but there's got there's got to be something. I mean, it's not just, I'll say, uh, simple jobs that are going to be replaced. Like eventually in legal, in, in, uh, in media, in art. Well, it's, it's interesting. Sure, media and art. But let's talk logistics for a second, yeah. because I, I once again, I, I, said, I said this with Jorge last week, like, I mean, I, I think that the AI chat GPT and the BARD are exciting, but mm -hmm. give me a break. I mean, the I think the exaggerated hype in terms of like, oh, they're going to write sign, new Seinfeld scripts. Yeah. It is not going to write Tarantino, Tarantino it style. It will, but it'd be a show that bombs. Yeah. Um, but what I would say on the, on the flip side, you know, when we talk about autonomous mobile robots in the warehouse, which increasingly will take over the mm -hmm. world. There's a lot of long-term advantages to that kind of um, solution if you're looking at automation. Um, but what why what enables autonomous robo, uh, mobile robots to work is the ability for it to collect enormous amounts of data, um, visual and auditory data, and make decisions based on that. And I think it's interesting when you say that, you go, hmm, 
Well, it's collecting a lot of data, and there are things that we're going to be able to do to give us even greater insights into how to design and optimize um, uh, industrial processes, mm -hmm. <laughs> leveraging this absolutely new universe of data that is being collected by these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I think, and, and then uh, the other piece that I'll add is that, um, you know, you can, there are, there are going to be ways that we will resort to these tools because we can, again, take another leap in, in accelerating all of these, you know, the thing that took six weeks before now takes a week. But it should, you know, it'll take it'll take couple a day hours. or a couple of hours. Yeah, you know, you'll be able to read in data with support from these software tools. I so much we, more. Easier. We have somebody who's who's been yeah. experimenting with yeah. that, and uh, uh, apparently some some very good results. Because you know, you talk about that like all that work you had that six weeks like that. You can't spend your time solving the problem that the client really wants to solve. And I know you said, well, they actually wanted you to do that because that was the only way, but. The more time that our people can be spending on actually solving the problem and not doing the associated, oh, I got to read this in. Oh, there's an error here, and, and those tools will just elevate. You know, it's our so service. funny you say that. Like when you think about it, it's that when we started, maybe 30, 40 percent was pure analysis. Right. Today, maybe it's 90 percent pure analysis. Tomorrow, maybe it'll be. 50% pure analysis because not because of the inefficient like by byproduct work that has to happen but because you will be liberated right from that so that you can actually do other types of yeah th that, yeah that's really interesting Jeff um, I do have a question I've been thinking about this a lot lately do you know what Emilio does at lid Emilio? Who's Emilio? You know, down, down, down the hallway there, Emilio. Oh yeah, yeah. I used to go. I used to go to school with that guy. Hmm. Yeah. Um. No, no idea. Isn't it? It's as mysterious as whether NASA has an alien spacecraft or not. You know, <laughs> he does something. He always, he's always got, you know, he's always got the. But no idea what he does. Have you figured it out, David? Not yet. Not yet. Maybe if we ask him. No, I ask him. Every time I ask him, he starts giggling. He says, oh, i got a meeting. Well, looking busy is an important part of the job, right? Looking busy is very important. Yeah, George Costanza. That's why, that's why I always walk so busy. If looking busy right? is the most important part of this job, Charles Eldon is not doing it well. <laughs> but that's what George Costanza said. He said, when you look, actually, when you look annoyed, you look, you <laughs> yeah. look uh, busy or something like that. Uh, I'm, I think this is a great place to end because I think we went on a, a long data discussion, mm -hmm. which uh, I'm sure is going to be exciting okay. for at least one person out there at some point. They'll, uh, fi they'll find the 40 seconds that uh, was worth listening to somewhere in this you know, half hour. Well, have a great one and uh, very excited about uh, our meetings tomorrow. Yeah, that's going to be fun. You too. <laughs>